resistance in America. What does that mean? Certainly uh, at this time of COVID-19, although a lot of uh, reopening has been done in America, it certainly isn't uh, anything like fulsome, as they say. And uh, my next guest is a professor of sociology. Uh, As a matter of fact, she is director of the Program for Society and the Environment at the University of Maryland and probably... uh, sitting in uh, empty buildings for the past little while. Dana R. Fisher, have you been? Hello, uh, Dana. Actually, uh, we are all under... Hi, can you hear me? Hi, Peter. I hear you fine. I hear you fine. Now, go ahead. Hi, sorry about that. Um, we are actually under stay-at-home measures here in the D.C. area. Right wow. out- I live right outside Washington, D.C., and the University of Maryland is closed, so everybody's home. So... My house is uh, not empty at all. It's filled with uh, myself and my children who are uh, doing remote education because all the schools are closed as well. Well, that's a lot like what we've got up here in the province of Ontario and not quite like what they're doing down in the state of Georgia. But I guess every jurisdiction has to make its own uh, decisions on what it wants to do. But I don't want to talk about that and probably neither do you. You have a book out called America Resistance, and I've read a little bit about it. And uh, what it seems um, you're, you're commenting on these days is how people who don't like what's going on in America, and, and let's take a particular focal point, the presidency and, uh, and the operation of the country uh, are doing in these times with regard to um, stating their case. For example, I I read a piece that you had written recently that uh, had to do with um, Biden being the presumed nominee for the Democratic Party. Now, the the people that you interact with who are student age, therefore they're young people, uh, didn't tend to be Biden fans when it came to uh, voting Democratic. And generally speaking, um, people in that age group are more likely to vote Democratic. What about that? What's happening with regard to uh, stating your case in these times in America? Well, as as you mentioned, um, young people in America who tend to be more progressive than not also have not tended to be particularly supportive of Biden as a candidate for the nominee for uh, the Democratic nomination for president. Um, However, uh, one of the things that I did is I've done research studying the youth climate movement and asked them who they've been supporting as time has gone on. Most recently, I collected data in April right around what we called Earth Day Live, which was a digital climate strike that mm-hmm. took place during the 50th anniversary of Earth Day. And one of the questions I asked is who these young people would be supporting for the presidency um, in the November elections. And I only asked them the people who are still running, which is Joe Biden and Donald Trump. But I also asked them if they would choose to support neither, which is what a lot of people had been saying was what we might see with a Biden nominee. And every single person except for one of the 171 respondents said they would vote for Biden. So there's not a lot of evidence that these people are going to sit out the election, which is very heartening because young people in America tend to vote at the lowest rates of anybody. And they do. It sounds like a default position, though. uh, Joe Biden. Uh, it sounds like a default position, though, Dana. Well, it's not. Um, it, it can be a default position for most left-leaning Americans, but for young people, it absolutely is not. Many young people, in fact, most young people don't vote. So we should expect to see, if we're lucky, 40 to 45 percent of young people who are eligible to vote will vote. So really, I guess the default position is not voting at all. And yeah. one can imagine people choosing not to vote if they don't like the people running. 
But in this oh. case, it's really heartening because these are no longer people who say they're never Biden supporters. They will support Joe Biden, but they're still putting a lot of pressure on him to change his policies in a way that they think is important around climate change, for sure. Well, we're now in the late part of May. You've got an election on November the 4th. Uh, I'm obviously in Canada. I don't get a vote, but we pay a lot of attention to our giant neighbor to the south. This is an interesting election campaign on so many levels. Um, we, we could have the, the Trump conversation. We could have the Biden conversation. Let's leave that out of it for a moment, and let's have the election co- uh, conversation. You're about resistance. You, you're rooted in the climate area, but uh, more globally, you're writing a book about resistance generally, and resistance really means demonstrations or protest meetings or rallies or whatever. How are they going to do that? How's this election going to play out in the next little while? Well, that's a great question. I mean, so uh, in my book, American Resistance, I actually am not focused on climate specifically. I'm focused on people who participated in resistance of all sorts across the left. And I define resistance as people who were who are participating against the Trump administration and its policies. So I start out by collecting data from people who are protesting in the streets, and then I track them through the midterm elections in 2018 to see what else they did. And what I find is protest is the beginning of activism, not the end. And people went on to do all sorts of progressive uh, activities around progressive uh, issues and progressive candidates towards the midterm election. And so what I've been doing more recently is actually, in addition to looking at the youth climate activists, I've been studying one of the largest resistance groups in the United States, Indivisible. I just completed a census with their members. Uh, That census took place during the pandemic here in the United States. So I collected data in April. And based on the research I did with hundreds of thousands of their members, I found, you know, I asked them how COVID-19 was changing their political work. And what's really remarkable is a little more than half of them say that it hasn't really affected their activism very much because they were mostly participating online anyway. One of the things I talk about in my book, which came out last year, is that during this period prior to the pandemic, we saw a lot of people working through what's called distributed organizing. And distributed organizing is defined as a style of organizing that doesn't focus on geographic location or pre-existing social ties, which is the way we think of most organizing taking place. Instead, it focuses on digital connections. And so it's really interesting to find that these, you know, progressive Americans who have been involved in resistance of all sorts have already shifted much of their political work online. So for many of them, they're just going to continue and take advantage of the digital tools that are becoming more and more available for them as we get closer to the election. Well, you can. It, it provides multiples. There's no question that uh, the digital approach is the multiple approach, and it's how you reach more people than uh, trying to stick uh, X number of folks in uh, the Washington Mall or in a park somewhere and, and get them to come from all over the country. And that's not possible anymore, anyway. What so so the juxtaposition that I see, and I'd love your reaction to this, is the visible protests that we're seeing on the nightly news these days are right-wing people slinging guns and showing up, for example, in the rotunda of the, the Michigan legislature saying, open up the, uh, the country, we have freedom, and uh, really no visible sign um, at that level of the, the uh, progressive groups. They're busy online organizing. Am I right in my observation? Well, you're somewhat right. Um, there have been a... a a number of what we consider modest-sized protests around the country. There have been much fewer of these protests on the right that are these anti-lockdown protests 
than you might expect because the media coverage has been remarkably inflated about the events that have happened. In fact, my governor here in Maryland, who's a Republican, actually reported and specifically said to the media, I'm getting more calls from you guys from the media about these protesters than I see protesters outside in Annapolis, Maryland, which is where where our capital is. So it's really amazing the kind of coverage that's happening. At the same time, we are actually having a lot of protests against the Trump administration and its policies regarding COVID-19. It's just not getting nearly as much coverage. And there's been been some really interesting work about that. But at the same time, most people, be they conservative or liberal, are tending to do most of their work online. And we certainly see that with progressive activists who have taken so many different ways to do resistance online and through digital, you know, digital tools that they have available to them. Well, I think that it's safe to say that uh, digital online is uh, is the way to a, a win, regardless what your political stripe. So it's he who or she who uh, makes the best moves digitally that uh, is holding the ball. That's definitely true. And, and I think that given some projections that we've seen with regard to the pandemic through the fall, I think that most people are going to feel much more comfortable engaging in whatever type of political work they're going to do online. So that means no door-to-door canvassing with, you know, neighbors and communities, no face-to-face meetings. But I have found that a lot of people are already reporting participating in Zoom meetings and participating in these virtual town hall meetings that our elected officials have been holding. Mm-hmm. I expect we'll see a lot more of that. And, you know, and it will will have to involve innovation. We've never had an election like this. Uh, especially when digital tools were available. So now that we have those opportunities, I'm really interested to see what comes of them. Well, your book is America Resistance, for those who want to get a copy of it and read it. And you have a website, AmericanResistanceBook.com. So um, I wish you luck with this, and uh, it'll be interesting to watch the election unfold south of the border for us. Thank you very much, Dana. Thank you, Peter. Thank you for having me. That's Dana R. Fisher. She is professor of sociology, director of the Program for Society and the Environment at University of Maryland 